Hey, Changemakers, welcome back to the Engage for Good podcast. I'm your host, Allie Murphy. 41 years ago, Grayston did something radical. They pioneered open hiring, becoming trailblazers in the U.S. by eliminating resumes, interviews, and background checks in their hiring processes, thereby reducing barriers to employment for those experiencing homelessness, the formerly incarcerated, those in recovery from addiction, and even those who have employment gaps on their resumes. Today, their once radical concept of open hiring is rapidly gaining traction. Grayston has over 30 open hiring replication partners, ranging from major corporations to small businesses who have all embraced these transformative practices. One of those partners is The Body Shop, whose open hiring journey began in 2019 when Grayston came into their offices and presented this groundbreaking idea. Fast forward four years to 2023, and the beauty brand has hired over 5,000 people through open hiring practices, both in their distribution centers and retail stores around the globe. But here's the kicker. These initiatives aren't just about social impact, even though they transform thousands of lives, they also deliver tangible business benefits. Today, I'm joined by two remarkable people who spoke about this topic at our annual conference this past May. Nakiba King, the Body Shop's Global Director of Inclusion, Belonging, and Wellbeing, and Joseph Kenner, Grayston's President and CEO. In today's episode, we'll explore the remarkable story of how Grayston pioneered open hiring. The journey that the body shop has been on with open hiring from 2019 through present. The business benefits both organizations have seen as a result. The challenges and intricacies of these practices and how Joseph and Nakiba have overcome them. And practical steps and insights on how to initiate open hiring and inclusive hiring at your organization. So whether you're a business leader, a nonprofit leader, an advocate for change, or simply curious about innovative hiring practices, you are in for a treat. And with that, let's get started. Hey, Joseph and Nakiba, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us, Allie. Good to be with you and Nakiba. Hey there, Allie. Super excited for today's conversation, which, as I've already told listeners, was at conference at EFG 2023 this past May and was fabulous. And I wanted to bring it back to the larger community. So we're going we're to start high level and then dive in through there. Joseph, we are all more than what we do for work, as I like to say. So tell <laughs> us a little bit about the personal and the professional journey that led you to Grayston. Yeah, I think I, I I always describe to people that uh, my journey is a circuitous one. So I I'm, I shamelessly say that you know it wasn't planned out. You know, I spent about 14 years in corporate America, uh, working Fortune 50 companies, Wall Street. Uh, spent 10 years or so in government, both elected and appointed office. Before finding out about this organization called Grayston and. Literally, I don't think it's by chance. I always think there's a divine appointment to it. But when I found, came across Grayston and ran into my predecessor, uh, Mike Brady, and learned about this company that, you know, just so happens to make brownies for Ben and Jerry's and (laughs) sells brownies in Whole Foods, but they also do this thing called open hiring. I just like fell in love with the concept. I fell in love with the product. I don't know how you can not love these amazing brownies, but the 
business itself, but also the impact that the business has on society and the economy um, and really employment in general. I know we'll talk about that later. It just drew me in. Um, and that is my interest, you know, leveraging business as a force for good. It just fit into my all my experiences, but more importantly, you know, what I want to do with my life and how I want to contribute um, to society. Um, this just checked every single box and probably could not have designed a better job description. It's a powerful thing when we confuse those together yeah. and you get to do something that's in line with your values and the things that really matter to you. And bonus points that you get to make great brownies. <laughs> now, I don't personally make them. But true, true. <laughs> this is true. That the business makes I gotta try to brownies. tell my son that sometimes, but, you know, I, I'll take credit. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, Nakiba, yes. what about you? Same question. Tell us a little bit about your journey to the body shop. It's actually pretty funny because it's it's really similar. I um my background is in chemistry, physics, and mathematics, so it has absolutely nothing to do with what I do now. Um, and <laughs> I was just at a point in my life where I was thinking about my next steps, and and I was working in retail, and I literally stumbled across the body shop. So I wasn't necessarily looking to make a change, and I came across the story of Anita Roddick, the the founder. And I never thought of beauty in this way or that beauty could be done this way. And, and honestly, I never thought that I would work in beauty. I never even considered it. It was the furthest right. thing from my mind. But just that Anita's story and the way that Anita thought about business as a force for good and the way that the body shop did business is really ethical and values driven, aligned with who I am and how I live my life as a person. So I was madly sort of searching on the internet and there just happened to be an advert for the body shop. And this is so unlikely because it was the one shop in the entire state, in the state of Mississippi, which is where I'm from. And they happened to have an opening. And and they and they called me after I applied to come in the very next day. And I remember walking around and I was so I, I was thinking, I didn't even know the body shop sold some of these things because I, I spent all of this time um just sort of driven by my curiosity and reading about the activism work, the community fair trade and sort of all the things that the body shop did in the community. Um, and I wasn't even aware of the amazing products. And, and I became aware really quickly of the wonderful people. So, you know, my career at the body shop, I've now been at the body shop for 12 years and I just cannot imagine a better fit for myself. And it, it really was quite happenstance, but of course, completely on purpose as well, because mm-hmm. I am 100 percent living my purpose. I am inspired listening to both of you talk. OK, we could go on a tangent about <laughs> values and alignment, and I would love that conversation. But that's not actually here what we're here to talk about today. Joseph, you alluded to this a little bit already, but open hiring was a pretty radical idea when Grayston first explored it roughly 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Let's start off by setting the stage. What is open hiring and inclusive hiring? Yeah, it was actually 41 years now. Um, We -hmm. were founded in 1982. And I tell people all the time it wasn't founded on open hiring per se or even the brownies. Um, Bernie Glassman, our founder, similar to Anita Roddick, you know, both wanted to leverage their businesses as force for good, forces for good. And Bernie in particular, where we're located in Yonkers, New York, probably two miles north of the Bronx, uh, 
in that time in 1982, in the 80s, there was just a lot of economic challenges and really serious challenges here in Yonkers. And Bernie and this group of Zen Buddhists that uh, had a business baking cakes for you know high-end restaurants in New York City, Bernie saw the homelessness, he saw the despair, he saw people who wanted to work but couldn't find employment because they were excluded, because they were formerly incarcerated, because they were on public assistance or because they were homeless. He would literally pull them off the streets and bring them into this baking operation um, because he wanted to figure out how can we have a business that can give people hope give them skills, to give them something that they can take somewhere else so that they can have a trajectory that is thriving, that supports them, supports their family, and they can find their purpose. And he believed, you know, that is our role in life is to help people find their purpose. And not only that, but invest in it. Uh, that was the genesis for open hiring. Now we look at it the bakery now, some 41 years later, um, it is how we bring in our bakery apprentices, which is what we call them. And it it is simple and radical at the same time. Uh, you literally just have to put your name on a job list. Now you can do it online at grayston.org backslash open hiring jobs. But when we call people in, we need people for production. If you're the next person on the list, you get the job. No questions mm -hmm. asked, no background checks, no interviews. No interview, no nothing. You just report for orientation. You know, you bring two forms of ID, be willing to work for 12 hours, be willing to, you know, stand for long periods of time, um, lifting, you know, 50 pound bags of sugar and flour. If that's something you want to do, we'll train you. And our hope is either through Grayston Bakery, where you can move up within the organization or through our nonprofit that owns the bakery, Grayston Foundation, we can help you find something else and get you trained in another field where you can thrive there. That's open hiring. And inclusive is more along the lines of folks who may not be attuned to open hiring just yet in terms of the no questions asked, come one, come, come all. But maybe mm -hmm. you want to remove one or two barriers to employment. Maybe it's the background check, or maybe you just want to focus on one particular cohort that has barriers to employment, whether that's single parents or whether it's the formerly incarcerated, disconnected youth. But, you know, for us, removing the barriers is a win. Uh, whether you yep. do one or all, it's a win for us because at the end of the day, there are just so many people on the sidelines that we don't even capture in our unemployment information that are languishing, whether it's in the criminal justice system or on public assistance, that they haven't found their place. If we can use our businesses to do that as well as make good products and provide good services, right. we see that as a win-win-win for the business, for the person, and for society. I want to come back to the win-win-win side of this and what you've been able to achieve from these practices. But before we get there, why has this movement gained traction recently? And what does Grayston do to promote adoption by companies? Because I think there's a, we're talking about this more and more. Why do you think that is? You know, and I know Nakiba can talk about this because I know this is how the body shop got involved. I mean, if, even if you look at latest data now, you know, the unemployment mm -hmm. rate now is at like 3.8% decades low unemployment rate. However, you still have, you know, I think it's 1.5 unfilled jobs for every officially unemployed person out there. So we still can't <laughs> take all of the people <laughs> that are officially unemployed 
and put them into the unfilled jobs and still have unfilled jobs left over. So there is still a challenge. Even if we could get it all right. Even if, still, we could, yeah. even if we could get it all right. So there is still a challenge with hiring. And we believe it's not just how you're doing it, but where you're looking to find your people. And I would love to speak to some of the folks nationally, whether it's hospitality, manufacturing, have distribution centers. How are you doing with filling those jobs since we have this low unemployment rate? And right. where are you looking and how are you doing it to get those people? I think that's what's drawing folks in. Folks need people, they need good people, and they needed them yesterday. So they're looking for innovative ways to do that. And, and let's be honest, they're looking for innovative ways to see what they can do from an ESG and a DEI standpoint. And I always say this is DEI and ESG, but substance, because you're actually hiring people that are connected to a yeah. paycheck. I like that way of looking at it. Okay. So Nakiba, we're going to switch over to you. Why did the body shop originally enter into this arena? The body shop has beliefs that businesses should be a force for good, as I as I mentioned earlier. I mean, we're a triple bottom line. And so people are equally important to us um, alongside the planet, alongside profit. And when we were thinking about our people practices and our hiring practices, our recruiting practices at this point in time, so this would have been in 2019, so it was a few years ago, and thinking about how we could be more disruptive and more radical. I, I don't know that you can get more radical than what Grayson has been doing for the last 40 plus years. Right. <laughs> so we we had Grayson actually come and, and they spoke to a group of our people leaders and some of our retail leaders. And I remember because I was actually in the room at that time doing something totally different than what I do today. Oh, <laughs> I was leading stores and, and I was sitting there and I was listening to the presentation and just blown away because because at the time we thought we were hiring really inclusively. And in some ways we were, mm -hmm. but open hiring is I mean, it's fair, it's non-judgmental, it's based on trust, it's inclusive to everybody, to every single candidate. And as we were listening, while it's it's radical and it's shocking initially, we thought these are all things that really reflect our values. Um, because, you know, we've long believed and said that access to employment is one of the greatest equalizers and, and roots to stability for people. So if you can remove barriers and bias and things like recruitment and attraction and selection and provide that access to employment, to people um, and that stability and those chances for people who need them the most, then we've built on our mission to promote equality wherever we trade. And so this is the reason that that we started open hiring at the body shop. We literally heard Grayston speak and then they invited us to the bakery and our people team mm -hmm. you know, went over to the bakery and we started open hiring that same year. Wow. Okay. So that's how it started. What did you create as a result and how is it going now? Because this was back in 2019. It's now 2023 and we're still talking about it, which means I think it's going well. It's going really well. I mean, we're still we're still in our toddler stage compared to Grayston. So still lots to learn um, and really lucky mm -hmm. to have them as partners to this day. Um, so how it has gone. So we started open hiring in 2019, as I mentioned, and that was in our distribution center in Wake Forest, North Carolina. So in our seasonal sort of population there, we hired a, a couple of hundred people through open hiring that first year. And then it was it was so, so incredibly successful. I mean, we were productive. 
It was really inspiring. We had people that came to work for us specifically because we removed those barriers and they were able to sort of come in. And we did something very similar to Grayston. We, we in essence, took their model and just applied it to our workforce. Yeah. So we removed, at the time we had background checks, we had drug screenings, education requirements, and quite extensive interviews, previous experience, that sort of thing, which is not necessarily indicative of a, a person being successful or productive on a job, right? So you don't mm-hmm. necessarily need those things. So we removed all all of that, stripped all of that back. And we started hiring distribution center employees that way. And we still do to this day. In addition, in 2020, we started hiring our entry level seasonal retail staff in the U.S. and in Canada um, through open hiring as well. So we've seen. Was that quite the jump for you or was it a natural? Because I can imagine going from distribution Mm. center to, okay, we're talking about retail staff could be more challenging or could, at least at some organizations, be a red flag different. that you'd want right. leadership to be bought into. But maybe that wasn't the case uh, for you. Definitely different challenges. And there mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, it's a different environment. There are different sort of things that you need to think about. But the principles and sort of what we believed in as far as giving people second and in some cases, first chances were absolutely the same. Right. Um, and, and we also recognized that despite these being considered entry level jobs, they weren't truly entry level because you, you needed some sort of experience. And many people were telling us you need experience to even get, you know, sort of the seasonal types of roles. And and we were asking for that as well. So it was a bit of a, a jump or an adjustment, but the exact same process we applied. We stripped back all of those barriers. We removed the interview. You know, first person to apply is the first person that gets the opportunity. And we started hiring those countries in that way. And the same result, you know, productivity is there, engagement is there, retention and conversion into longer term positions at the end of the employment period are there. So all of sort of the positive indicators you'd want to see from a people perspective, we were seeing. And you know, the program has just continued to sort of gain steam and grow. So so now, you know, fast forward to 2023, we open higher in those entry level uh, seasonal positions in the U.S., in Canada, in the U.K. and Australia. And we also open higher employees both in our distribution center in North Carolina, as well as in the U.K. Um, in this way. So mm-hmm. it is just continued to sort of roll out um, across different markets. And, and and even now, you know, some of our permanent consultant positions we hire through open hiring, many of them actually in those same markets. Okay, Nikiba, you just shared something that's really inspirational. I mean, I've got a smile on my face. I know listeners can't see me, but we're smiling <laughs> over here. It's also smart for the business. So Joseph, I want to bring it back to you. What have these hiring practices made possible for your organization? Yeah, and I, I don't want us to lose sight of what Nakiba just said these last four mm-hmm. years and what that has meant for the body shop as a business. I mean, we spent these last few minutes talking a lot about kind of the social impact of what's been happening, and that's well and good, and it's amazing, and that's both what our, our companies are fo- focused on, and we're a benefit corporation focused on people, plan, and profit as well. But what she also said is, and I, I was taking it down, productivity, <laughs> retention, yep attracting great talent, converting seasonal to permanent, the engagement they have now. And then she didn't get into this, but when you look at the natural demographics that just develop, the ethnicities, the race, the gender, the age, all that happened naturally. 
You know, there was no DEI program that put that together. Um, right. All of that happened naturally through the program that Nikiba is doing. And also I would highlight that you have a bakery manufacturing facility, a retail operation and a distribution center all getting similar results. Our businesses are still running. The world, mm-hmm. the, the world did not come to an end. The place did not fall. In fact, it might even be doing better than it was. And, and we're con- very consistent with our industry, except we don't pay for hiring. <laughs> and, and we get the results that we're getting uh, from a people standpoint. And to see so particularly a larger organization like the Body Shop getting the results that they're getting, that's what we've been saying for the longest time. You can use your business as a force for good. And yeah, you might have to tweak it a little bit the way the body shop did it to get there, but it's possible. And the art of the possible is we have the body shop as an example of that and others. But I mean, they're a marquee example for us in terms of two separate, dramatically different industries, distribution center and retail doing something that's quite impactful, but also very beneficial for the business. And, you know, really makes that business case for anybody looking to do this. Nikki, I want to bring it back to you. So these are all the good pieces from productivity, conversion, retention, engagement, the diversity that you end up with kind of more naturally as opposed to having a program in place that really making it happen. On the flip side of that, what have been some of your biggest challenges in adopting these practices? There are definitely challenges, you know, as there as there will be with any, I think, hiring and attraction model. Right. Of course. Um, so many of them were, were challenges that we've experienced in other models. But in particular, with open hiring. I think one of the biggest and maybe the initial challenge is is, is all around mindset. You know, so we were Ooh, we were good. really introducing something quite radical. And as creatures of habit and human beings hiring for a really long time in ways that they've believed produce talent, you know, bringing in such a, a radically different concept could be really challenging for people initially. So there's a lot of change curve to sort of navigate that. And it it really boils down to people second guessing an applicant's ability to do the job simply because they're an mm-hmm. open hire. So there are often some assumptions there, some biases, some some questions around, are you compromising sort of the quality of your talent because you're removing these parts of the interview process? And, and we've not found a correlation there at all, but n- not surprisingly, this is often what what people ask us when we first start the conversation. So just navigating that and helping people sort of unblock those those biases that they might hold and, and also recognize them has been one of the biggest challenges. And then I think the second thing, you know, we needed to equip our organization around the open hiring program to best support both the people that we're bringing in and also the leaders you know, in our shops, in our distribution center, right. et cetera. So we we consider ourselves to have a, a duty of care to people that are coming into our organization in general and, and through open hiring. And these values of empathy and understanding and inclusion, because we, you know, we mentioned it really diversified our workforce, having those things in place, um, situational sort of awareness and leadership, all of those things are so important to the program succeeding. So we needed to equip our organization for that. And when we first started open hiring, it really was just about removing the barriers. Um, and now, today, you know, the, the, these four years later, we've brought in, you know, roughly 5,000 people into the body shop through open hiring. And 
and it's wow. and it's both about removing barriers and also it's a true workforce development program. So everybody that comes in, we're focused on, you know, really equipping them or creating an environment so that they have the psychological safety to succeed. But then in addition, we've partnered with lots of charities and organizations that can also provide like wraparound support and are specialists in some of the communities that 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 we now have in our population more more prominently than we would have before. So they so they partner with us to help provide, you know, transportation, housing, uh, financial awareness, just just things, social skills, things that people might need that have been displaced from the workforce for some time. And together, we're able to create an environment holistically where someone could be successful. So I would say those two things, just creating the right environment, equipping your organization over time to be more and more um, successful at at supporting people to succeed. I feel like we could do an entire podcast on this question that I want to ask you. So I understand that we're not going to be able to get deep, <laughs> but we're talking about mindset challenges. We're talking mm-hmm. about challenging deep ingrained thought patterns and habits and biases. Again, could be an entire podcast. Maybe we <laughs> should do one. But is there one thing that you could share that you did as an organization to help transform that mindset? There are there are several. I think to really quickly, one of the things that we did is honestly we can we confronted it. I mean, we talked to people directly mm-hmm. about how mindset and, and and the way that you sort of think about something then shapes your action. And we oh, yeah. did a lot of work with people. And this wasn't just for open hiring. We were doing this in general as we worked with people on their personal purpose and how to re- really un- reveal your purpose and unlock your potential. And so we talked to people about unfreezing your your core beliefs and really examining those things and, and, and sort of envisioning the possible. And so we took some of those beliefs that people have around open hiring, whatever those fears are, whatever those things you are that you think. And let's challenge that. Could that be different? Have you ever seen it work differently? What could happen if you believed something different? And we really worked on those mm-hmm. things directly. Directly, And we also had the help of Grayson who came in and gave us some really powerful success stories and evidence that contradicted some of those right. things that people believed. And then I'm sure it was easier not easy, but easier over time as you started seeing some of the evidence in your own organization to point back to and say, okay, this is where, I mean, you have 5,000 people thus far. (laughs) 5,000 people and lots of success stories, lots of really, you know, so we have both inspiring success stories, but then we also have evidence. We have the actual KPIs and the metrics that say, you know, this is what this actually, the performance of this program actually looks like. And when you have that, you know, in black and white, then that actually really helps. It's hard to hard argue, to with, argue with that. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph, I want to come back to you. What are some of the common objections you get when talking about open and inclusive hiring with companies? Yeah, I mean, you've kind of, Nikiba touched on many of them. You're mm-hmm. you're challenging a mindset. It's, it truly is a mind shift change for people to say that, you know, after years and years of hiring people this way and getting the same results, you know, definition of insanity. We keep doing the same thing. We're, being, we're, we're, looking, we're looking for something different, but it, it doesn't happen. Um, and and I just, I was prepping for another panel discussion I'm having next week at a conference. And as I was describing open hiring, the, one of the persons was saying, like, I could see people in their seats shifting as you talk about open hiring because 
no one can quite understand like, all right, that might work for you, but it's not going to work for us. And it's for the very same reasons that Nakiba outlines. But when you back it up a little bit and you just think about what we're doing, yes, there's going to be challenges with any human capital management strategy. That's just what you get when you manage people. But at the end of the day, we keep saying, using the term radical, all right, yes, maybe getting rid of background checks and not asking questions might sound a little radical. But when you think about open hiring, that's just kind of the appetizer to things. But all the other stuff is just good HR. <laughs> As you bring people in, you, you make, make sure they're trained. Make sure that the people that you bring in are trained and they get orientated to the organization. Make sure the people that are managing them are equipped to deal with the people that they're managing. Making sure that they have the tools to succeed to go further and get promoted and they have opportunities. That's just what good people managers do. Uh, so at the end of the day, we're not really doing anything all that radical. What we're actually trying to do is make sure we invest in our people and thereby make sure that the organization is strong and whatever product or service that we're providing, we're providing it with excellence, um, which is consistent with both of our histories. So yeah, the big, the big objectives, objections are that, you know, folks just, this is a huge mind shift for them. And it, you know, you got to get over that hump, but as Nikiba said, you get over that hump with the evidence, you know, our 41 years, of, our 41 years of history as a bakery manufacturing facility, their long history in the distribution and uh, retail operations. And then you talk about the demographics, you talk about retention, you talk about your own sales and the fact that your businesses are still thriving. We're all challenging now in this current environment, but the business is still thriving. Uh, like I said, the wheels haven't fallen off because you've adopted this new strategy. Um, things are still moving forward. So, that's really what it's all about. You just got to, as Nikiva said, you know, you confront it, bring the data, <laughs> you bring the stories, you bring the analysis, and it's really up to the organization. And really, it gets down to, are we going to be intentional? Are we, are we, are we really going to do this for the long term? Are we looking at this as a check the box? And, you know, this is kind of a, you know, add water and stir and things are done. No, it's an investment. You've been doing this now, what, four years, Nakiba? It, it, this, it takes time. We've been doing it for 41 years and we're still learning. And there are still things that we could do better as an organization. I don't want to make it sound like everything is perfect, but it's people management. We don't have any other issues that any other bakery manufacturer would have in terms of attendance or people not showing up or things like that. Those are still going to happen. But for us, is how can we make our people stronger, better, more productive, as an organization, be more productive, more efficient. Those are always going to be challenges, but those are investments you have to make if you want to be in this game for the long term. That's so good. Okay. I want, I want to hand this one to both of you. Maybe, Joseph, we'll start with you. So assuming we have, we're in a hypothetical situation here, let's assume a company is interested in starting either inclusive hiring or open hiring. They're coming over the mindset phase what would you advise them to do? Yeah. One, reach out to us. <laughs> Graceton.org, definitely reach out to us. And I, I tell people all the time, don't get overwhelmed by the fact that we have our entire manufacturing operations that's open hiring for the bakery apprentices. Start small. And I, you know your you, you know your organizations better than we do. And I use the body shop as an example. I say, you know, they started with one distribution center to figure out how it works. And then they saw how they can apply it to other contexts within their organization. Do the same thing, particularly for you know, our public companies and you know the larger companies. Start small, pilot it, get the lessons learned, and then 
you, you start to tinker with it to make it customize it to your organization, you, you are going to realize you need to do something better in terms of training. You are going to realize you're going to need other supports that your employees need, but start <laughs> and start small and don't try to overthink it because I, because there is a lot of learning that needs to happen uh, throughout this process. And when it comes to the socialization of it, when it comes to the implementation of it, and then how you're going to measure success, um, it's better to start small than to kind of jump in on the deep end. But, you want to build on the success. But, but reach out to us first. And we've got a great partner right here. And we got some others coming online, too, that uh, are taking that same journey. I love it. Nakiba, anything you would add? I am completely aligned. So we've rolled this out in a really phased, with a really phased approach, and we continue to do that. So we continue to grow and sort of build year to year. So to Joseph's point, we started with the one distribution center and literally we just removed the barriers. We just took out the background checks and the drug screens and, you know, those things. So I always say to organizations when we're chatting with them, what can you do? You know, think about what you can do. What's reasonable for you right now? What, if, if there's one step you can take, what's that? Take that step. So start and gain some momentum. And every organization has some somewhere that they can start, some place that they're comfortable starting from. And if you'll do that and then, you know, grow from there over time, then you'll find there are some some people out there who you're yet to meet who will be incredible assets to what you you want to accomplish and do. Oh, gosh, there are so many other questions that I'd like to ask you, <laughs> but we are coming to the end of our time. So three more questions to close out. Nikiba, okay. why don't we start with you on this one? What is on the horizon for you in this space for the body shop? You know what? We this sort of spreads like wildfire. So I mentioned we're quite a values-driven organization. So as soon as people in other markets hear that we're open hiring, they want to open hire as well and and inclusively hire however they can. So we actually have some inclusive hiring initiatives happening in other markets outside of the, the ones that I mentioned. And in addition, we're really focused on those markets where the program already exists and continuing to, to sort of take the feedback that, that we're getting from the participants and the leaders and to um, improve that program sort of year over year. So more learnings, more trainings, more development, more partnerships so that people can develop their careers beyond, you know, what they're doing today at the body shop. So it's uh, it's just continuing to grow in those markets where we already are. And Joseph, what about you? What's on the horizon? I have to say, you know, we have quarterly check-ins with Nakiba and the team <laughs> uh, just to see how things are going. And literally every time I talk to the Talk to Nakeem and the team. They like blow my mind with how they're just taking open hiring to the next level. So now that I hear this, I'm like, these guys are just killing it on so many fronts. But really, it's it's taking these steps and getting the the data that we're seeing and the success stories and the challenges too and how we overcome the challenges and just continuing to share this with others. Um, we're currently working with IKEA to pilot open hiring in, in North America, but we need more companies, you know, whether it's the Amazons or the Walmarts of the world. But I've met in these last few weeks with a company that makes English muffins uh, right here in Westchester County, oh, wow. New York. Uh, damn good English muffins. I can, <laughs> I guess I can say that. That's actually their name. That's not, I love that's not me English commenting muffins. on the quality. <laughs> like, their, their name is actually damn good. D-A-M because they're near the Kensico Dam. But um, that's awesome. Eight, person organization that's doing open hiring. We got a janitorial services company in Rochester doing open hiring, but 
all of these companies, different industries, different fields, you know, looking at how they can do open or inclusive hiring better. That's our vision for 2030. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want we want 40,000 jobs and Nakiba, the team might take it all based on how they're doing it. But <laughs> but we want more companies. Win-win for everybody. We, we want more. And let's get more companies. But seriously, we want more companies doing this so we can get to 40,000 jobs being offered through open and inclusive hiring by 2030. And it's going to take the, the body shops and the Ikeas, but also the smaller companies of, of this country and really the world um, to really get folks off the sidelines and into employment. So that's our mission is to just drive that home and to get folks equipped and employed and get them into jobs so that we can run our businesses successfully, Mm -hmm. but really add something to society at the same time. You can do both. It's not an either or. That's an important mission. And I like the piece that you can do both. It is it is not an either or. You both work on really important programs that are life-changing for so many people, whether that's at your own organization or externally as well. How do you take care of your own well-being or practice self-care amid this important work? Yep, I'm going to ask you that question so that you can sustainably continue to move it forward. Who wants to go first? (laughs) That's a bit of a loaded one. I am probably the worst person to talk to about well-being. My, my wife will tell you. My director of HR will tell you. We were just talking before we got on the uh, podcast, Ali, that, you know, I'm up early and I go go to bed late. So I, I you know, I, I do like to read. And we were talking about this earlier, too, just to kind of decompress and and kind of just think about something else other than work and travel as much as I can with my family to, you know get get away from the everyday um i'm not the best at it i'm gonna be very honest about it uh but again when you're doing what you do it's like you know if you find something that is not really a job but it's actually your passion your purpose you're not you're hardly working you're just doing what you do right <laughs> so uh, i enjoy it so i to me it's not a stressful thing but obviously our bodies do need to rest we do need to take a break we do need to unplug i could be better at it i'm not uh so i'm not going to say that to answer your question i'm probably not the best person to be asking about this but um i know i can do better and that's always a part of the journey too but hey you know part of it is recognizing Mm -hmm. that and that you have definitely done (laughs) and we talked earlier you finished a book in five days you're getting the reading in and there's an acknowledgement while there. working, but Nikita. I've finished the book. <laughs> <laughs> Nikiva, what about you? Well, that is, I'm very similar. I'm a very driven person and my work yep. does always feel urgent and it is certainly important. So, um, but I do have a belief and it is that you have to be well to do well, or maybe I should say you have to be good to do good. And, Mm. I like both of them. Mm. Yes. And I'm stealing that, Nikita. Really, you really do because you, you're you're filling lots of tanks and you certainly can't be running on one that's empty. So I try very hard to take healthy doses of self-care as a result. And that looks a lot different for different people. So for me, um, right. like Joseph, I love to travel. So anytime I can sort of get away from whatever it is that I'm experiencing and seeing day to day, um, I try to disconnect and 
I can't necessarily turn it off because even when I try to turn it off, my brain won't turn off. So I'm I'm still connected to some degree, but I can turn it down. <laughs> so I try to turn it down. And when mm-hmm. I do that to reconnect with nature or to connect with, you know, loved ones, family, fun, and to just do things that give me a little bit of a break in the monotony or the, the routine of what I'm doing day to day. And then I think the final thing I would say is I feel very privileged to do what I get to do. I feel very humbled and very blessed that I literally get to live my purpose. And when I look around me and I see the impact that it makes on people's lives, that is the biggest recharge that I could ever probably have. So I remind myself to just slow down and take a look because I'm constantly thinking of what's next, what, what's next, how can I do it better? But just to slow down and look around and really appreciate where we are. And I, I have to comment on, on what Nikiva said because it is it is so true. You know, the role that I'm in, you know, the roles that folks in this organization have, it's very challenging. Mm-hmm. You work with some very tough situations. And, and literally, this was probably three weeks ago, I had one of my VPs in, in my office and we just had completed one of our workforce development education training classes. And one of the students just came in so excited that he now has this certification for building, building and construction trade safety. He's now got this job. He came in here wanting us to help him turn his life around and he feels like it's happening and he was off the charts grateful for it and we both just said to each other like this is why we do what we do the 10 things that probably drove us crazy and stressed us out last week get erased when you have like that one person coming in and you know in my prayers i thank god for this job i think you know god for grace and you know what we can do each day like that's what really charges me when you can just have that one case <laughs> or that two case that can just say that you know wow we really helped somebody and it's one of our core values transformation we've helped somebody mm. really turn their lives around making brownies mm. you know or training people in skills that you know security guard and construction you don't think of these as life-changing things but they really are um a job can change someone's life so if we can provide that and we have the wherewithal to do it why wouldn't we that is the perfect note to end on joseph Mm -hmm. where can people learn more about you and grayston just go to grayston.org love to get engaged with you and Nakiba, where can people learn more about you in the body shop? Thebodyshop.com or any one of our social media channels. So Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter. Or they can actually they can also find us in our stores. So I have to say that because we have the most amazing people. And if you pop into one of our stores, they'll tell you all about the body shop and more. Mm-hmm. Yes, they will. <laughs> well, Nakiba Joseph, thank you so much for joining me and for sharing inspiration and actionable pieces and this journey that you've both been on. And to our listeners, you can find all the show notes at engageforgood.com. Thank you both so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. The Engage for Good podcast is produced in partnership with True Story FM, engineering by Pete Wright. Music this week is by Ian Post and Rex Banner. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we hope you'll consider doing just that for our show. But the best thing that you can do to support Engage for Good is simply to share the show with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening.